privilege to be with you guys today. Um, uh, I guess repetition makes it all the more true, right? Um, but uh, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here with you, to have an opportunity to get to know you, you get to know us. And um, the same time that Mark came up with this faux pas thing, there's a friend of mine back in Michigan that wonders why Mark even still talks to me after that weekend. Uh, because there was no power at the winter camp that I invited Mark to come to. And uh, we still had camp with no power in Michigan in a snowstorm, ice storm. Uh, we had a fireplace, and Mark kept backing the lectern up closer and closer so he could stay warm, because he came with just Southern California winter clothes, not Michigan winter clothes. So um, all that aside, we're, like I said, we're thankful to be here and appreciate the ministry of CrossFit and look forward to seeing how the Lord leads in this manner. Um, well, let me lead us in prayer before we dive into Colossians chapter 2. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for how you've preserved it for all of these years. Thankful that we have it in our own language and can read it and study it and understand it. I pray this morning that you would focus our minds to that end so that we might be challenged to live more uh, in line with what your word says so that we can bring more honor and glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Life within the body of Christ is one that uh, we have to be actively involved in. Right? This isn't like we just pay our dues like a country club and we show up and, and you know, take advantage of the, of the amenities. We actually have to participate in it. Right? We are the body. We think through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, um, Ephesians 4, there, there's this body analogy, right? And we need each other. And when we come together as a congregation, we are covenanting, we're promising things that we are going to do for each other in the trenches what only really believers can do, right? Pushing each other in specific ways toward Christ-likeness. One of the ways in which we do that is through, um, we commonly just refer to them as the one another throughout Scripture. Right? And we have all these commands of here's how we are to react and act toward one another. So that brings us to like we're constantly giving each other advice on how to live life. Right? We're, I mean, if you want to use the, the, the term, we can say we are counseling each other all the time. But when we do that, what kind of counsel is coming out of my mouth when I do that? What kind of uh, what's the basis for what I'm pushing someone towards? Right? Do I have, am I just sharing my opinion because it pragmatically worked? Or am I actually like digging in and saying, here's an objective standard that we can build off of to push each other toward Christ-likeness? And one of the challenges with that is as we walk through life in 2023, is that the thinking of our age is more and more secular or to put it more bluntly in a church context, it's more and more anti-Scripture. So maybe you've heard someone say something to you along the lines that you're, you sit and you think, there's a lot of truth there. That's even maybe even grounded in Scripture. But then the more you think about it, the more you wonder, is it really what God's Word says? Here's an illustration of that. Common statement, perhaps, that maybe many of you have heard, God will not give you more than you can handle. You're like, okay, life's terrible right now, but God will not give you more than you can handle. 
And you think through all that, and you're like, I've got it. But when we think through that more deeply, we come to passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 8 and 9, that say this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Sounds pretty, pretty bad. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? So you start thinking through the, the statement, God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, actually, he's going to, to push you toward himself and depend on him. We come to our passage in Colossians today. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae after Epaphroditus has been, sorry, Epaphras has been uh, to Colossae, come back to Rome to visit, to give a report to Paul, and there's this disturbing news that there's heretical teaching happening, happening within uh, the Colossae uh, believers. And so Paul opens up and starts, you know, his, his standard greeting in chapter one, and then talks about his thanksgiving and prayer for them, even in the midst of these uh, challenging teachings that they're holding to. He then goes on to establish the preeminence, the, the supremacy of Christ. And we come to chapter 2, and he's reminding these folks of a very important aspect of Christian life. I'm going to start reading in verse 6, but the focus of our time this morning will be in verse 8. Starting verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he's going to go on through, the verse, through verse 15, anchoring that in, in the supremacy of Christ again. So when we look at this, we come to verse 8, right? We are to be, we ourselves, verses 6 and 7, are to be walking in Christ, being rooted and built up in him. Right? There's a personal responsibility here. And he builds on that, starting in verse 8, when he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Right? We often think about, well, that's the job of the pastor. And there is an aspect of that. We think through like Ephesians 4 and some of those. But we as individual believers within the body of Christ have a, a responsibility to make sure that no one is taking us captive that is contrary to God's word. This is why statements like my opening illustration can be so damaging because we're constantly pushing each other to think through things, and yet those kinds of things can take us captive and lead us on a ever so slightly and eventually further away from the path of Christ-likeness. So as Paul moves from this, this reminder to remain firm in the faith in 6 and 7, he goes to this direct warning to not drift away. Because just because someone is challenging the thinking that you think is actually rooted in Scripture. Right? So how do I know if it's rooted in Scripture or not? How do I know if someone's taking me captive? I have to actually know what the, the basis of what I'm doing is. Right? I have to think through, okay, so if, if that statement that I'll go back to, right, God will not give you more than you can handle, it sounds very, very Scripture-ish. But do I know Scripture to enough to know Things like First Corinthians, or sorry, Second Corinthians chapter one, 
that show us otherwise. Because when I know Scripture all the more, the more I am being rooted and grounded and built up in my faith so that I can stand and not be taken captive. This is why things like regular Bible reading are so important. Hearing the word preached are so important. Because it exposes us to the word, the objective truth of life, so that we can actually be grounded in it. So this personal responsibility that Paul is placing on the believers in Colossians, in the book of Colossians, isn't just for the first century believer found in Colossae. It's by extension also our responsibility. I don't think I have to take too much time to get you to think through news articles, social media posts, conversations at work that are, con- that are, that are pushing things away and would actually be taking you captivated and basically kidnapping you away from the thought process of Christ-likeness. That's the day in which we live. Everything is pushing us seemingly away from that. But this isn't just a battleground of simply the mind. Right? This, is, this is a battleground for your soul. Right? First Peter, uh, Peter is reminding us in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, destroy. It's not just, hey, let's go down and grab a cup of coffee together and we're going to spend some time together. It's, I want to destroy you. That's how Satan is coming about this. Right? So are we taking our time to make sure that we are watchful of these things? So that takes a lot of effort. Yeah, it does. It does. But I'm doing it so that I'm not kidnapped, I'm not captured, I'm not snatched away by the devil and his thought process. Right? Satan is not looking for a friend. He's looking for someone to destroy. And he's going to do it with subtle little things that just twist the truth ever so slightly. And we can find this all the way back in the book of Genesis. Right? The serpent starts questioning Adam and Eve and like, did God really say? So this isn't a new tactic that he has, maybe new means, but it's not a new tactic. He wants to destroy us. Paul's not warning us only here, though. Like, this isn't something he just comes up with the Colossians and is like, oh, let me chuck this out there. He does this other places. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's in the context of the local church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, Paul says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Right, so this isn't something Paul just came up to the cautions like, okay, let's, let's go after this with the cautions in light of the news that Epaphras brought back to me. It might be unique in that sense of like he's going after in a specific way, but he is warning multiple churches that this is something we have to be on guard against, not to be taken captive. Right? We are being 
captivated by something at all times. Right? Is it the television? Is it social media? Is it work? Is it whatever? Or is it scripture? Right? All of our thoughts, all of our actions have to be being taken captive in the midst of all this. And even though I'm jumping in right here at verse 8, this isn't something Paul is just, it took him until chapter 2, verse 8 to say. Look up just a couple verses in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Actually, let me just start reading the beginning chapter for the sake of the whole sentence. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have, been, who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God, God's mystery, which is Christ. Verse 3, in which are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible, right? Plausible argument is one that seems like it's worthy of believing. That's the thought process Paul's flowing through here. Right? Someone presents something, well, that's, it seems like it would work. But does it match with what Scripture is saying? Does it match with, with who Christ is? Does it match with what he explains his church to be? Does it match with, pick a doctrine. Is that pushing us towards Christ in these areas? He then goes on to clarify this. So it's not just see to it that no one takes you captive. There is that aspect. But he he clarifies what that means. The means in which that is, is by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, philosophy itself uh, is not a bad word. Um, philosophy, like we talk about ministry philosophy, parenting philosophy. Um, it's not a bad thing in and of itself, right? At its bare bone minimum, it's simply the love of wisdom, which if we think through Proverbs, Right, Proverbs 1, 7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we don't want to be a fool. Chapter 2, he puts it on display the value, Solomon puts on, value, on display the value of wisdom in instructing his son to make his ear attentive to wisdom. And although we read this verse and, and philosophy here is, is described as empty and deceitful, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Right? We should love wisdom. But we also have to make sure that it's wisdom connected to Christ. Right? Do I love the wisdom, the objective wisdom of God's word? Do I love the objective wisdom of God himself? And this is, this is all set, and we're going to come to this more, but if you go all the way to the end of verse 8, it's all set in a in contrast to the, uh, it's not according to Christ. So, in in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verses, chapter 1, verse 19, and in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden, chapter 2, verse 3, and with the gospel, that is the word of truth, chapter 1, verse 5. So, Paul is making it clear that philosophy Itself isn't bad, but this philosophy is empty and deceitful, because, not because it's void of ideology or pragmatic rules, but because, it's not, it's because it is based on something other than Christ. So let's work through the three, the two negatives and then 
he, he states it in the negative, but it's really because it's not in Christ. So we've got not according to human tradition. Uh, sorry, we have it. It's according to human tradition, according to human elements, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So human tradition. Sometimes we get uh, a little gun-shy at the idea of tradition. Right? And we're like, oh, somebody brought up traditions. Like, that's bad. Or it's really good. Like, you could, you're typically one of, the, one of two options. Like, you live by tradition or you hate tradition. Like, I very rarely come across somebody who's like, oh, I'm kind of in the middle. Right? Especially when it comes to holidays. But when we're thinking through things here, traditions is a, is a synonym for a habit. Right? So you could say, it's probably a weird way to say it, but you could say, I have a tradition of reading my Bible every day. I have a tradition of being at church on Sunday morning. Right? We don't usually talk that way, but that's, that's the idea coming out here. Right? So, so here, um, it is the idea of it's something that's always been done, or it's something that has established a, a precedence that this is how we're going to work through this. And I, I want to have habits like I'm always at church on Sunday that I'm reading my Bible every day. I want to have those kind of habits. I want to have those kind of traditions. But it's, it's not possible, really, from the context of Colossians to, to determine the exact content of the tradition that he's referring to here. It could be Jewish, uh, like first century Jewish uh, people. It could be uh, Gentile. It could be both, right? And there's good arguments to be made for all of those positions. The point here, though, is that whatever it is that we're stuck on, is it being rooted back in Christ? Right? Because back up in 6 and 7, that's what he's saying. Right? So walk in him, 7, rooted and built up in him. So what can establish, uh, what can be established is that the manner in which these traditions that Paul is having issue with, the, the, the manner in which they're they're introduced, suggests that the false teachers were setting forth their own philosophy, their own love of wisdom, as, as truth, as the tradition that needed to be followed. Right? So this, this, is, um, this would be like me saying, regardless of what the Bible says, you need to follow what I say. And you're like, well, in a pastoral sense, that actually kind of makes sense. But that's actually a slippery slope that leads to captivity by the devil. Right, because as much as, as pastors, we want to make sure we're keeping people grounded in the word, we're also human beings. Right? This is the objective truth, not some man. So as we're working through that, at the end of the day, this tradition is being presented uh, as being of human origin. That's the idea of human tradition. <clears throat> And, then, and therefore, it's actually going against the apostolic tradition that uh, is centered on Christ the Lord. That's just where he just spent chapter 1 and early parts of chapter 2 anchoring us back to. But this isn't some new thing, right? Let's think about the words of, of our Lord in uh, Mark chapter 7. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. Jesus then goes on to quote where in, he quotes... Isaiah 29 after that, where God's people are being accused of false worship. So Paul is not calling out the false teachings merely because they're human teachings. He's calling them out 
because they represent a false worship and, a, and cannot be tolerated by God himself. It's contrary to Scripture. So here's a question for us. As we're wrestling through some of this, how, how do I do, how, how do I do? How am I doing at paying attention to how my life is grounded, particularly in God's Word? Right? I mean, life's busy. But do I take the time periodically to step back and say, okay, so here's everything going on. Here's the trajectory of my life. How is that aligned with Scripture? So that we're constantly having these little nudges back into reality, into where we should be, versus we're standing back and we, get, we just keep drifting, and eventually we're way over here, and that correction is some massive correction. And it's a lot more painful. Am I putting, uh, am, I, am I actually spending time putting thought to that? Or is it just, well, I'll wait till somebody points it out. If nobody points it out, I've got to be going in the right direction. Well, you're also, again, relying on human wisdom. Am I doing these things just because that's the way I've always done them, or the way I've always been taught, or they've always been explained to me? Right? I mean, there are things that I can think back in my life that I always thought were a certain way. And then someone pointed out to me that I was missing a key component of it. And that, that alters my course. But just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it always has to be that way or should be that way. In fact, when we think through trying to speak this truth into each other's life, then we actually are thinking through how to provide godly wisdom and push other people toward godly wisdom, not human wisdom, and therefore godly counsel or wisdom does not actually need man's wisdom at all because godly, godly counsel is much more superior because it's rooted in something objectively true. It, it takes the, the element of human surprise out of it, which then brings us to according to the elemental spirits of the world. There's a common way to understand this, and I think it's probably fair to do this, is to understand this as like the elementary principles or, or procedures of the world, kind of like the ABCs of life. And, and the idea is that this is a very simplistic understanding of life. It'd be like someone with a doctorate going back to kindergarten and sitting in and be like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to know. Yeah, you, know, you knew all that like 25 years ago. Right? And you've, you've built and you, you've grown. But, but as, mature, as we mature in our belief, our, and specifically in our faith, and we become more and more rooted and grounded in our faith, like, we grow in our understanding of these things. Right? Initially, as a believer, we might be wrestling with, like, why is it that I actually need to be in church? Or why is it that I actually need to read my Bible? And as as we develop good habits, we actually, those things become second nature, and now it's like, so why do we do a certain, uh, why do we live church life a certain way, or why, why are we different than the church down the road, or why are we different than the church across the country, or in, or in Africa, or wherever, right? And we start thinking through those sorts of things. We, we have to be grounded in the, in the fundamentals, right? If I don't know fundamentals like two plus two equals four, then I actually have uh, an error in my, my building blocks that I'm going to build everything on. 
My foundation is, is shaky at best. But if I'm going to sit here and say, well, let's just go back to that all the time, and I need to reaffirm that, I have to make sure that I'm doing it in light of God's word and not being carried away by simplistic thought when I, as Peter would say, actually should be des- desiring the sincere meat of the word. At Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes this, uh, While we were children, we were being held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. And this element of immaturity is evident within the Galatians and apparently has a, a bit of truth within the Colossians as well. So whether it's first century Judaism, as in the Galatians, or whether it's the false teaching in Colossae, human religion is not advanced. Right? As much as we think humanity has advanced all, over all these years, human religion has not. Human religion, it conveys, sorry, it does not convey new and profound truth. It's actually rooted in an effort to achieve salvation by works, which if we were to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, right, it's not by works. Because if it was by works, I could boast about it. It's only by the grace of God. So we think through that aspect, am I stuck in the world's quote-unquote plan of salvation? Or am I keeping my mind focused on the one who truly provides salvation that is in Jesus Christ? Where's, where's my, where's my, uh, my mindset? Right? If, if we were going to go out and build a fence, we're going to put a corner post in and we're going to build everything off of that. Right? That corner post has to be firmly set or the, corner, uh, the, the cornerstone of a building. Right? Those things, if they're not set properly can cause drift very easily. Am I anchoring myself in the scriptures so that the elemental aspects of the world don't draw me away, or am I more concerned about them than I am about what Christ says? Because at the end of the day, we're going to stand before the one who actually cares about what we think about him. Right? We're not going to stand before our friends, the politicians, whomever, like, well, this is why I did whatever I did, right? We're going to stand before God and have to give an account of why we did what we did. And I don't know about you. I probably do, but I don't know about you. I don't think you want to stand at that point and be like, well, my really good friend wanted me to do this thing. And because we've been friends for so long, it just seemed like the thing I had to do. You have the wrong friends, if that's what, what you're pushing towards. Right? If, your friend is so con- if you're so tied to a friend that's like, well, we've been friends since we were in kindergarten, that's fantastic. But if that friend is pushing you away from Christ, go find another friend. So what are we doing? Because here we go, the third aspect of this, this final culmination of it all, and not according to Christ not according to Christ. This wraps up in an overview statement sort of way and kind of puts a nice little bow on the package. Right? Don't, don't be taken captive. Don't become a prisoner of war by philosophy and empty deceit that's according to human tradition, that's according to the elemental spirits of the world. 
Make sure you are being set on Christ, the cornerstone. Right? So the reason it is, the reason is it, the reason it is all empty and deceitful, if you haven't already caught on this, is because it's not according to Christ. That's, that's the, the key to this. Where is Christ in your thinking? Where is Christ in your actions? Where is Christ in how you live life every single day? And this brings us back to the center of Paul's argument that any teaching that challenges the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, which is the argument he's been building since chapter 1, are to be unmasked to reveal their true nature as personal spiritual forces that threaten the Christian community. You know what the Christian community is? The church. These forces are bound up in this world and cannot be compared to the wisdom found in Christ. And yet we have a world around us that is pushing us to think that it can be found elsewhere. In fact, they would say, there's so much more to be found. You need to, you need to ditch this and go that way. Well, that's, that's not what Scripture says. And um, this has been preserved for years and has uh, passed the test of time as uh, an authoritative work, right? And it's written by someone who cannot lie. So these false teachers are probably actually not denying that Christ was central to God's saving purpose. They're probably actually arguing that certain practices have to be added in order to achieve, to achieve true spiritual fulfillment. And in that case, addition actually means subtraction. Right? When, when for Paul, addition means subtraction, right? So I cannot add to Christ without, in effect, subtracting from something in Christ. You see the issue there? Like, if I'm going to say Christ plus something, I'm actually saying Christ isn't sufficient. And by doing that, I subtract from his exclusive place in creation and in salvation history specifically. And my guess is that no one here would sit here today and say, yeah, I want, I want, to, I want to take Christ out of that. Like, I want to actually be the subtraction side of that, right? We want to be rooted in Christ, and, and we could probably, there'd be a bunch of amens type of thing, right? But when we go out from this place, when we go about our work week, do we live that kind of mindset? Do we live where Christ actually is sufficient for everyday life? Do we live so that Christ and, his, and what his word says dictates how I live my life? Why I do or don't do certain things? Or does it just simply like, it's my Sunday thing? Let's think about this from a parenting perspective. Right, so if, if I knew, actually, forget that part of it. Just say, theoretically, someone is out there looking to kidnap my kid. Right? Like, I mean, we're new to being, being in Bakersfield. I don't know. I haven't met probably half of you. Kidding, kind of. 
Um, right? But I don't know. Like, let's say we're on the street and all of a sudden, like, somebody just comes up and tries to snatch one of my kids. Right? I'm in a new place. I'm walking circumspectly trying to make sure that my kids, my family, say, stay safe. Why? Because I want to make sure that they're taken care of, that they're not snatched, they're not kidnapped, they're not taken captive by the boogeyman or the bad guy or who, whatever you want to describe him, right? And we get that kind of idea, right? That's why we put fences around pools. That's why we do certain things like, like safety measures. That's why there's a fence between here and, the, and Gosford Highway, right? Or road, is it road or highway? Road, okay. Um, Right, there's, there's a fence there, so I, a kid just can't run out the back door and run right into Gosford. Those are safety measures that we're putting up to try to help us stay within the bounds of where we should be. And from a, from a parenting standpoint, that all makes sense. But do we do that same kind of idea with our spiritual life? Right, do I, do I make sure that fences are up so that I can't fall off in the ditch? Do I make sure that people are, are close enough to me so that they can speak truth into my life? Do, am, I, am I walking around making sure that, that, that the devil is not actually trying to stab me in the back? Because newsflash, he is at the turn of every corner. But am I walking like that's going to happen and I'm trying to be on the defensive? Or am I constantly like, well, let's go through life, see how it comes out. Right, we're, we're within the context of a church family. Right, we're within the context of, of we need each other and you need us type of idea. And yet we walk out of these doors, get in our cars, drive away, and act as if I don't need anybody. It's me and only me against the world. But that's not the case for a believer. Do we act like that? Do we live like that? Do we actually take the time to spend with other believers to not just be like, oh, hey, we're hanging out with believers. We had dinner with, with whomever in the church. Like, that's great. What was your conversation like? Right? I mean, I can get together with believers and have some pretty terrible conversations that are not focused on anything really helpful. But I was together with believers, right? Am I taking the time to, to sharpen one another, right? Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend, right? Is that the kind of mindset I go about life with, or is it more just like, well, we'll see how it plays out, and I hope I don't get caught by the devil, right? I mean, we play that out in, like, I don't get caught by my employer or, or by my kids or my, my wife or, or whoever, right? But it's like, what about being caught by God? Do I have people that are going to push me to do the right thing? Do I look out for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, I'm helping them to avoid pitfalls. I'm, I'm, I'm going alongside them without... without uh, with, with a discerning mind helping them to think through situations? Or am I just like, I'm just there? Several years ago, um, we were with Laura's family in Colorado, and we were all in one big van. And 
I'm driving up Mount Evans, beautiful area of the country, right? And all of a sudden, the entire van, remember, I'm driving, the entire van points to something out in the valley, like this whole herd of something that's running through the valley. And they're all like, look! Within about two seconds, my brother-in-law goes, not you, Nathan! It wasn't that he didn't want me to see it. He didn't want to die. Right? And that's a, a silly illustration. But do we have that kind of mindset in the church life? Right? Because I'm part of the body, right? And I, I have, you impact me and I impact you. Just like in that van, right? If my brother-in-law hadn't said, not you, Nathan. Not that I was looking anyway. Right? But if he hadn't said that, that plays out. I look over to see it. I missed the turn, the van goes off the cliff, I'll let you fill in the details. But spiritually, that's what happens in our life, right? We're like, oh, man, well, um, I'll pray for you, which is good, but like, check back with them in a couple of days. Hey, how are you doing with that, right? You, you said you had a really challenging thing coming up at work, it, or, or you're, you had a really, really challenging thing with a coworker. Are you, are you handling that correctly? Is, are you thinking biblically about these things? Right? Don't wait till Sunday. I mean, we live in a day where, we, where communication is not a problem for us. I mean, probably between, I mean, I mean, everybody's got something like this in their pocket, and it's probably going off all the time. Right? We have ways to communicate. This isn't like 30, 40 years ago where it was like, well, I had to wait till I got home to call, and hopefully they're home so I can talk to them, or I had to send a letter or something like that, right? We have instant means of communication. So we really don't have an excuse to be like, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just praying, which sounds like a very spiritual answer, and it's a good thing to do. Don't let me negate that. And I should be praying for my brothers and sisters through the week, but if I'm not also coming alongside, like this brother or sister just shared with me a big challenge they have coming at work on Tuesday morning then I want, to, I want that brother or sister to know that I'm praying for them on Tuesday morning. And I want to check back with them on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Hey, how did it go? How are you handling whatever the result was? Right? Are, you, are you that level of, of involved in the church's life? Or are you the spectator? Coming here on Sunday morning to, quote-unquote, Gather your spiritual goods and services for the week so you can survive until next Sunday. So let's think about this pastorally. From a pastor's perspective, to see or learn of anyone falling into these kind of traps is just like heartbreaking. Right? To find out that someone in your congregation has fallen pray to the dangers of a false teaching or a false ideology or, or is just walking away. Like you step back and you think, did I, did I do something or did I not do something? Like did I, did I forget to connect somebody with someone so that they could be making sure they could check up on them because I just, I couldn't that week? Right? It, it's, it, just, it just messes with you. Because you're grieved that here is a brother or sister that's walking away and no one's paying attention. 
the body hurts because a part of its body is hurting, whether they realize it or not. But here's the reality when we think through this issue of, of making sure that none of us are taken captive by, by philosophy or empty deceit. We are all susceptible to this issue, like all of humanity. And I think it's for a, a couple of different reasons, but, but when we think through it at the, at the crux of it, I think it's we want more than we've been given. We don't want to settle for the thought, the thought that, that Peter presents in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, that we have actually been given everything that we need for life and godliness. We want to sit back and say, well, okay, that's, that's true in like this sector of life, but not all of life. No, no, it's everything. Everything that we need for life and godliness has been given to us. So as a pastor, we're tasked with guarding the flock against wolves and perverse, uh, perverse men who are seeking to assault the flock in an effort to take them captive. Acts chapter 20. And the same idea is fleshed out in the one another's of, and so does the congregation care for one another as they're keeping tabs on each other, as they're walking through life. So am I willing to actually heed the warnings of these guardrails or am I just going to turn my back on them? And as we think about our life, we've got to recognize that any teaching that in any way detracts from Christ's exclusive role is by definition harmful. Christ is sufficient. We don't need more. We want more. Our depravity pushes us to think about how much more we could possibly have. And yet, Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious to us in giving us so much. God, you've died for all, and you have provided the, the payment for all. And God, you love your church. You want to see it grow and be built up. God, would you build the church here at Crossway to be a lighthouse even brighter for you here in the Bakersfield area so that many might know who you are and many might follow after you with whatever days they have left on this earth. We're thankful for the warnings. Help us to heed them. Help us to live out church life as we ought. In Jesus' name.